Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, joined over Zoom, as usual lately, by Aaron Keller. And today we also have Endow Game Warden Captain Brian Bowles and U.S. Coast Guard, um, actually stationed in Lake Tahoe, Chief Colt Fairchild. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Ashley. Really appreciate the opportunity. And we were talking about how it was like perfect timing because this weekend, you know, a lot of people are headed out on the water for July 4th, but it's also Operation Dry Water. So perfect time to do this. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to both of you. Brian, we've had you on before to talk about your background because you were actually used to be in um, the Coast Guard. Yeah, that's right. Colt, you're actually based up in Tahoe with the Coast Guard there. So could you just give us a little background, Colt, and then Brian will touch base with you too on that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, reported about a year ago. I um, took over for uh, Boson Finkelson. So he was up here for about two years. Um, I was coming from the island of Guam. So that's about uh, five hours west of Hawaii by plane. So out there, um, it's, it's a territory of the United States, obviously. So um, my mission there was search and rescue. Um, did a little bit of law enforcement too, and um, port waterways and coastal security. So we would help out with the sub escorts and some of these other um, larger vessels that had uh, strategic importance to the United States. Uh, been in about 15 years, um, looking to do 20, and then a second career as a as a school teacher and, and a football coach, most likely. Wow, very cool. It's funny the way you and Brian talk about these sub escorts. Like it's like no big thing. Like to me, that sounds crazy. Like I don't even think I've ever seen a submarine. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not up in Tahoe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The first time I saw one, I was really awestruck as as anybody would seeing that. It's a really cool thing to see. Uh, But after you see your 250th one, it, it loses a bit of its luster and it's just your job. So, you know, just, just like anything else, the first time is, is wow. And, and the thousandth time is like, Oh, hum, but yeah. Very cool that both of you did that. And um, so it's important that, or what was I going to say? Sorry. I, was- well, I, I think it's pretty cool that uh, you get to move from, a tropical island like Guam. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, no, it, it's been places on earth and uh, now you're up at Lake Tahoe. Yeah, it's been an awesome opportunity, Aaron. So I've, I've been on five islands, I think. So um, I grew up in Iowa. So we, the Coast Guard was very, uh, very small there. We actually did have the Coast Guard, but um, it was a little river tender. And uh, my father was in for four years and he kind of was like, hey, maybe you should look at the Coast Guard. Um, I, I wanted to join the military at in some sort um, after high school. And I was like, well, look at the Coast Guard. So I joined the Coast Guard and then I uh, got shipped off to Hawaii after boot camp, um, then went up to um, Ketchikan, Alaska. So that was another island. Went off to Guam for the first time, uh, went to the Florida Keys, Puerto Rico, back to Guam. And uh, this is actually my first, I would say, CONUS, we call it. So Continental United States tour, I would say, is a Tahoe. So it's been an awesome. Awesome opportunity. How does it is 
Yeah, you pretty much just rattled off like five of the coolest places to live, I think. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. How does working in Tahoe compare to working on these islands that you've been living on? It's, so it, it's different overall. Um, I'm used to a, a year-round season. So that's been a little bit of um, a year-round search and rescue season, I should say. So it's, we definitely have a lull in the winter. Um, during the summer, it makes up for it, obviously. I've, I've never been more busy in a summer location than Lake Tahoe. And it just goes with... Um, you're kind of fitting a summer season into four months over instead of over 12 months as that we're kind of used to. That's interesting to hear. I don't know if I would have thought it would, I don't know. I, I guess I've just never compared working in Guam and protecting the waters there to Tahoe. And so. actually a fun, fun fact. So the, so the surface area of Lake Tahoe is roughly the same size as the whole island of Guam. Oh. You can kind of picture that. So it's, it's pretty similar in size and, and square footage and or square miles I should say. Very cool. And then Brian you've moved all over too. Well I, I did. I, I shared a, a duty station with Cole. I don't think we were there at the same time. I think we talked about that earlier when I was oh. up there but um, I went in, in in early 2000 and my first duty station after boot camp was Key West Florida um, where I was there for two years um, on a 110 foot cutter in the Caribbean which was terrible terrible place to work <laughs> and then um, I did four years uh, at a search and rescue station in New London Connecticut um, driving boats I was a bosom mate like Colt and uh, I had the opportunity to either you know stay in and make it a career or um, to get out and I kind of rolled the dice to get a job back home here in Reno and and was able to get one in law enforcement which led me on the path that I went that I went to but um, I would have been just as happy um, completing my career in, in the Coast Guard. And I, I definitely miss, I miss active duty. I, I miss the boats and, and the camaraderie and the guys and everything. I'm just really happy to be able to work and work at Endow and, and stick my toe kind of halfway back in the water and still, still run into these guys uh, like Colton and folks around the, around the country. It's really cool. I was going to say you, I mean, we have a really good uh, relationship with the Coast Guard thanks to you and um, being in the Coast Guard and how do the different agencies work together? Well, I can say, you know, from Endow's perspective, um, we work with two different sides of the Coast Guard. We work with um, the, um, the civilian side that's called the, the Office of BSX, um, which administers our grant and, and, and that grant money goes out to the entire nation and territories uh, to um, operate a recreational boating safety program, which is what pays for all of our wardens out on the water to buy boats and gas and fuel and pay our salaries with the, the mission being a similar mission to the Coast Guard of promoting recreational boating safety on state waters where the Coast Guard um, isn't um, and um, enforcing the law um, with regards to, to boating. Um, we have the, the added benefit of having um, jurisdiction and a, a statutory mandate over wildlife law as well. So fishing and hunting uh, go right along with it. So when we put a game warden on a boat um, that's been paid for by a grant from the Coast Guard to do recreational boating safety, it multiplies our ability to be able to be out there in areas where we can also do the wildlife mission. Um, and so without the Coast Guard in that respect, um, we wouldn't even be able to do what we do. We wouldn't be on the water, we wouldn't have boats, and if we did, it would be 
um, it would be um, a very small operation as opposed to what we're able to do with the fleet that we have in our state. You know, for a, for a desert state, we have a pretty decent sized fleet of boats and, and folks to run them. Um, we also deal directly with the active duty element of the Coast Guard at Lake Tahoe, which is the, uh, the, the unit that Colt commands. Um, and we, we are just, uh, we operate there as on the water search and rescue and law enforcement partners. So, um, you know, we're on their team, they're on our team. That's, that's how we work with them, you know, right on the water. Exactly. So um, who is the main, because a lot of people don't understand how it works. Who has jurisdiction over Lake Tahoe? Would it be the Coast Guard or is it separated into different areas? So it's kind of a two prong. So federally, it's a federal body of water because it does go across two states. So we do have federal jurisdiction over here. That's, so that's why the Coast Guard is on Lake Tahoe. You wouldn't normally think of an inland lake having the Coast Guard, but Lake Tahoe's due to the amount of boating traffic and our mission up here, that's, it felt like we needed a Coast Guard station here. So we were established back in the 1960s and it's, it's kind of grown exponentially um, over the years. Please, and the state agencies obviously have their place and we couldn't do what we do uh, from a search and rescue standpoint um, without the ability of our state and uh, county agencies. Uh, we just, the lake's too big to cover from the north side of the lake with uh, this Coast Guard station proper. So Cole, how many uh, boats of different agencies does your comms uh, track on a daily basis during the busy season? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Brian. So we, um, we approximately 22 surface uh, agencies, so surface boats are on Lake Tahoe with their other, other government agencies. So our communication watch standard is kind of a, um, I'd say a forward operating post from Sector San Francisco proper. So we kind of help out Sector San Francisco's communication side with having a forward operating base out here. So um, just for example, last Saturday, um, we ran about 13 search and rescue cases. Um, this is including with all our other government agencies, but every, all the comms were coming from, um, from the surface assets to our communication watch standard or, or dispatch. Um, so it, it's busy for them, a lot of phone calls, um, working the radios and managing assets out there. So when you, um, when a search and rescue case happens on Tahoe and you've got, uh, um, say, one of our boats or one of the other local partner boats being the first responder, do you take over operational control? Um, we will. Um, obviously, we empower the state agencies and counties to make their own calls out there. We just want them to be relaying what they're doing out there. Um, they obviously are going to know the waters hundred times better than us because a lot of these, um, a lot of our partners have been, they, they were raised here. Um, they've been on the water since, you know, they were, they were young. So we definitely appreciate um, their geographical knowledge. And as long as they're feeding us, um, we could direct for longer search and rescue cases. So multi-day searches that we're looking um, at, but just to get out there and get a boat out there, we definitely um, appreciate what they do. And I like hearing how all of the agencies work together, how it all works. And then th that actually got us through the first half of the show. So then in the second half of the show, I want to get into um, Operation Dry Water and just educating people on the importance of being safe out there. So we will get into that right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. Too long, well, the 
If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have, with the U.S. Coast Guard, we have Colt Fairchild, Chief Colt Fairchild, and then we have Endow Captain Brian Bowles with us today, and we're talking about boating safety. Before the break, you guys kind of gave us a, you explained how the agencies work together and your role out on Lake Tahoe, so now I wanted to get into a little bit of what Operation Drywater is, since we keep talking about it. Um, do one of you want to explain it? I can jump off first just to give an overview of Operation Drywater. It's a, um, it's a nationwide effort led by um, the Coast Guard and um, NASBLA, which is a, um, uh, I don't even know how to describe NASBLA. It's an it's association of all the uh, state's um, recreational boating officials, essentially, um, like me. And there's a concerted effort every July 4th over the weekend that is closest to July 4th when we see a, a, a massive um, uh, use of our nation's waterways to get all of law enforcement out on the water together in a concerted effort to combat drinking and boating. Uh, that's why it's called dry water. Um, so we just want to put our, um, our message out there to the public before they get out on the water that drinking and boating is not a good idea and that it leads to a lot of tragedy. And um, we increase the amount of our enforcement on all of our waterways across the nation, including the state of Nevada. Um, and we put everybody out on the water and we have one goal and that's to keep everybody safe. So that's kind of the overview. And then Colt, you were saying when comparing it to other places you've worked, um, it's like this extremely busy four months here in Tahoe and almost more busy than the other places you've been. Yeah, that's correct, Ashley. So um, it just goes into it because everybody wants to enjoy Tahoe. And just with the cold waters of Tahoe, um, we really don't warm up past 60 until I would say mid-July. So that's kind of a two-pronged thing. So everybody wants to get up here and enjoy it. Um, you're experiencing very hot um, surface temperatures. So it could be, you know, 80 plus degrees. But um, as soon as you jump into that water, um, it's we talk about cold water shock. And um, we're talking about a 60 degree um, temperature that shocks the body. So what your initial reaction is, is the, uh, the gasp reflex. So when you, when you do hit that water, you take in water through the lungs, um, which will, um, which will make it sink, obviously. So we kind of go through the, uh, the one ten one rule. So you have approximately, uh, 10 minutes to, uh, catch your breath. Um, you have about one hour to, self-recover so if you fall off a kayak or fall off a boat um that's with a life jacket and then you have um uh, one hour with the um actually getting hypothermia so with hypothermia you don't, won't necessarily drown or um die from hypothermia as long as you have a life jacket on so for recovery so that makes our job a lot easier if we're able to find somebody with a life jacket on rather than trying to locate somebody who who didn't have that life jacket on um, who will succumb to cold water shock. 
So that brings up the point of um, not only is it this campaign we're doing Operation Dry Water important because, I mean, it's dangerous. You guys have some stats I know that you're going to be sharing um, to drink while out on the water. But also in Lake Tahoe, it's so cold. So it really is multiple things you guys are looking at. Yeah, Lake Tahoe can be really, really fatal really fast if, if you're not equipped correctly um, and, and uh, you don't have your stuff on. It's one thing to have your uh, life jackets on your boat, but if they're not on your body when you go overboard, um, it, it was a wasted effort of even having it on your boat in the first place because a, a lot of accidents happen in seconds, not uh, a slow sinking that gives you time to root out the life jacket that you stashed away somewhere. It's really important to be wearing it when you're out. That's and a I good don't... point, uh, especially with the, the kayaks and paddle boarders as well. So um, with the kayaks, you do fall overboard, you um, do capsize your kayak. It's really hard to put a life jacket on in the water. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's, and especially if you're not familiar with how to put a life jacket on to begin with, uh, trying to do it in the water is almost an impossible task. And I think people get so excited to get out there. They're like, we have a life jacket with us. We're good. They throw it on the boat or whatever they're on, but they don't think about how important it is to have it on because like you said, it's these accidents are a matter of seconds. Right. Yeah, the, there's, you can um, go onto YouTube and just Google um, um, cutoff switch crash or um, boat sinkings. And, and, and you can see that um, I forget what state it's in. Colt, maybe you know, um, it was a Tennessee bass fishing tournament where cutoff switch saved the lives of two fishermen. Um, their boat literally fl flung them out due to hitting a bad wake in less than a third of a second. Had they not had that cutoff switch, had they not had their life jackets on, it uh, could have been easily fatal for those two um, because the boat started doing the death, the death spiral before it cut out. Um, it could have run right over them. So, um, there's a requirement in law to keep, to have your engine cutoff switch in the state of Nevada. Um, a requirement in law for, uh, at least for kids under 13 to always be wearing their life jacket when they're out on the water. Um, and people need to heed that, not because um, it's just the law, but because it could save a life and it could be theirs or their child's. Exactly. And then do you wanna get into a little bit of um, the B, like BUIs and how many accidents, um, the statistics there, voting under the influence and how many accidents that leads to? Sure. I mean, I, I don't have um, total stats uh, of those. Maybe Colt might have those, but um, I do know that out of all the recreational boating deaths in the United States, um, one third of them have alcohol as a contributing factor or a leading contributing factor. So right there, if, if, if we could decrease the amount of drinking on the water, that's one third of the deaths that we see out there for people just trying to go out on the water and have fun. Talking about life jackets as well, 76% um, of fatal um, boating accident victims ended up drowning. And of those 84% were not wearing a life jacket. So a very small percentage of them actually probably succumb to hypothermia and drown while wearing a life jacket, but it's a very small percent. 84.5% of those people weren't wearing a life jacket. So that's 84.5% of people that didn't give themselves a chance to be rescued, to either self-rescue or to give the rescuers that were on the way, like Colt's crew, like our crews, the time that we need to get there to pluck them out of the water. Um, it's just really silly to be in, a, in, in an environment where the, um, it's so dangerous and can turn so dangerous at the drop of a hat from going to having fun to being in a life um, 
life-threatening situation and all you need to do is wear that thing um, and keep the beer on the on the beach where it belongs exactly what are some other tips you would advise people before they head out and vote i think a big thing is is just uh, designating a sober operator and it might not be the, the most fun thing to do but again it's it's going to save you it's going to save your crew it's going to save possibly another boat that um, you would end up running into if you were under the influence so we take it pretty serious it's the same as 0 0.08 so same as um, I would pretty much say all states now with um, DUIs uh, for commercial operators it's 0 0.04 so if you're a commercial captain it's even more um, restrictive so it goes down to half but um, the big thing with alcohol is that it exacerbates everything out there. So the sun, um, the motion of the boat, um, alcohol is gonna increase all those things tenfold. So that's a big thing that maybe some operators don't understand when they're out there drinking, is that sun's beating down when you're, you're hot. Um, you jump into the water too, and it's the same thing with the cold water shock. And then if you have alcohol in your system, it's just gonna increase um, the effects of that cold water. Exactly. So it's, um, Aaron Meyer, he's our law enforcement PIO. He's done a few of these with us and he always says, it sounds like you guys are trying to ruin the fun, but really you guys are just trying to make sure everyone has a good time that they could look back at and remember and remember it as a fun time. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's way more fun to have a great time and no bad memories from your trip on the lake or on any of our waterways. That's what's fun. Um, it's not fun to have tragedy unfold on you and your party, or even for you to be near nearby when it happens to someone else. And we recently had a rescue on Mother's Day down in Lake Mead that um, thankfully turned out um, not to have a loss of life, although there was a three-year-old stuck under a boat for approximately 30 minutes or longer um, that we were able to rescue. Think how bad that family would have taken away from that incident had that young child not been wearing a life jacket. It would have been a tragedy. It went from a, a great Mother's Day outing on the lake and it turned into a miracle. On the other hand, it could have turned into a tragedy. And so just try to avoid the tragedy is all we're trying to do. And we want everybody to have a great time. Exactly. And you could follow these tips that you guys give and have a good time out there. So it's not that hard to do. Um, so one last time, I just want to go over. So Operation Dry Water, the, what are the dates of that? That's a good question. I believe it's the third to the fifth this year, right, Colt? It is, yeah. So it is in conjunction with the Fourth of July weekend, which Fourth of July weekend is on a weekend this this year. So which is exciting for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna, and especially with um, the COVID restrictions and counties starting to ease up some of the restrictions, um, we do um, predict a lot of voters on Lake Tahoe this upcoming weekend. So just everybody, just take the time. Make sure you have all your safety equipment. The Coast Guard does have a app. Um, you can just search in the Google store or Apple store. It's just Coast Guard. It has everything you need to know, um, what your boat needs to have on board. Uh, you can file a float plan um, and there's contact numbers for the Coast Guard. And if you have an emergency, you can hit that distress button. Good to know. And that was another point you brought up. Um, we hadn't really even mentioned COVID-19. Um, now everyone's gonna wanna get out there. So there may be going to be busy out there. So we want people to get out there. We just want them to be safe. So thank you too for coming on and sharing all this information. And it was super interesting to hear about the Coast Guard background both of you have. Yeah, Ashley, I, I did hear from the first time you had Brian on about 
you may want a Coast Guard boat ride, you and Aaron possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, once our, the COVID restrictions are lifted up here, um, you're more than welcome to come up and we'll take you out on the Coast Guard boat. And if Brian wants to show off a little bit, we can, we can make that happen. Yeah. I'm a little rusty, but I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> I am definitely in for this. I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here and thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.